the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue the show, uh, moving into the third half of our three-hour tour. My apologies for the false start there at the top, but I have actually scheduled to talk to uh, this hour the uh, author of a new book. I believe it's coming out officially tomorrow called The Human Herd, Awakening Our Natural Leadership. Written by a lifelong cowgirl, writer, professor, and licensed psychotherapist, Beth Anstendig. And I think I'm saying that right, but she joins me by phone. Good morning, Beth. Welcome to the show. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, am I saying that right, Anstendig? You did. You said it. It was perfect. Good, because I'm terrible with names, so that's... It's not an easy one. Um. Well, there's just a couple of different ways you could you could say it, but um, but I'm I'm more interested in the cowgirl designation. Um, <laughs> you don't um, meet a lot of cowgirls who are licensed psychotherapists. It's true. It's true. But um, they go hand in hand. Believe it or not, <laughs> I've been. Um, fascinated, captivated, and obsessed with horses since I was about five years old, and um, I'm 48 now, so it's been a a lifelong passion, and they have been my teachers, these horses, and um, also my dogs, and I have really relied on them in my work and life, and and they've, they've led me to to beautiful lessons and experiences and parts of myself. There's something about this uh, this book. Let me make sure I got the, the full title right. It's The Human Herd, Awaking Our Natural Leadership. And it's... Um, it, it talks about... Well, let's talk about natural leadership, what that really means, because somehow um, this book promises to to help people reclaim an innate power of our human animal. So the the word leadership it can be a can kind of be a bit misleading. We no pun intended. Um, the 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 word leadership often, when we think of it, we think about leading others. And that very well may be true in the way that I'm using the word. But first and foremost, um, 
I'm talking about and writing about how we lead ourselves in the world as mammals. And so this, this part of us that I've learned from my experience with animals and also what I do with my clients with my animals is helping humans reconnect with the mammal part of themselves so we can lead our own lives and be part of groups in a healthier way. And the animals have a lot to teach us about this because they are so radically committed to how they take care of themselves. And humans bypass that every day, all day. We ignore our own needs. How is how leading ourselves different than leading others? Well, we often skip over our own needs and get focused on managing and get wanting to get others to do things. And so our leadership actually, whether or not we're effective leaders, whether we're leading in with our friends, our, our children, a team, a classroom, um, if we're taking a leadership role in any given moment and we have not focused first on how we're leading our own body through the world, we've skipped over the place where all of our power exists. All of our ability to inspire and influence from an authentic place starts within our own body. Is this akin to that that adage that you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself? It is. It is. We we say that all the time, and um, and I think we all know that on a really core level, but we don't actually know how to do it. And it's an almost embarrassing part of our current human state to to realize and admit and say out loud and begin the journey of learning how to care for ourselves on that level. But there's some really basic skills around taking care of the mammal part of us that we have lost. I'm reading a book right now that's about breath, and it's about how the human has evolved to be really inefficient, poor breathers. And I'm laughing about it because I'm thinking about my own book, and, you know, it's like, how did this, incredible organism that is us forget how to breathe but that's exactly what i'm saying there's all these things that we we don't do or we don't do well in terms of taking care of ourselves and yet we're out there trying to influence other people or get things moving or innovate or you know lead other people's lives try to get groups together to do things and we're not actually in our own self-care first when you talk about um, awakening our natural leadership, how much of it is natural or is there a, a discipline that, that we need to learn and practice in, in order to lead ourselves properly? Oh, I love that question. I think about it in terms of capacities. So we mammals have these innate capacities, and um, those are all natural, and then those capacities expand if we use them and we learn. And one of the things that I talk about in my book is that we learn, we're, we are multi-generational learners, and we learn experientially. And so if we have older 
humans teaching us some of these things and showing us and modeling. And we have groups that actually, that taking care of ourselves, are, it's part of the norm of a group, then we're going to be more inclined to do that. So I live with a, a, a herd of horses here at my ranch in California, and I, I live with them and study them. And people come to my, my ranch to, to learn alongside my herd. And, um, and so we get to watch the horses. They have a natural capacity to take care of themselves. That's part of their survival system. So, of course, that's a nature within us to survive. But we do have to expand that capacity and become competent at it. And that would be something that we practice. And the discipline around it in the animal world is they're very connected to their sense of survival. They know they need to do it. The human, we bargain with that. We, we think we don't need to. And, and the thing is, is that the, the ways, the consequences of not doing it, it takes a long time for, for many of us to suffer those. So stress injuries, for instance, you know, the, and stress diseases, those might fester for quite a long time before we really get serious about what's happening to ourselves. And so we're, we're a little bit sneaky in that we, we don't really think we need to expand that capacity and learn that. We don't, we're not very disciplined about it. We don't take it as seriously as we, as we ought to. You know, the book starts right out with the title, referring to the human herd. Um, do humans herd the way animals do? We do. We, um, I mean, if you think about where we are on the food chain, we are omnivorous, you know, regardless of what your food choices are as a, a conscious, you know, thinking, identity-based mammal. We are situated as om, omni, omnivorous mammals. And um, we do operate very much like other herd animals in terms of how we um, group together and thrive in groups and how we negotiate needs within our groups. We're not great at it. Like I said, if we don't know we're supposed to be learning it and what, what we need to be learning, we, um, we don't have a great advantage there. But as soon as we're tapped into what we need to learn, um, we do thrive in that. And so when I work with teams and organizations and we start to look at herd dynamics and how to actually influence each other and share resources and communicate and give feedback so that we can share space and negotiate our needs, it's actually really quite simple. It's, it requires a lot more overt communication, and it does require each person to be connected to their own needs. Do animals share? They do. They're, they're, they do share. And on a, on a spectrum, they have preferences around sharing. So in my herd, I have um, one horse in particular who really doesn't like to share, like, like to eat closely with others, whether they're eating hay or grazing freely. My horses live with the freedom to go where they want here. So all the gates in my ranch are open and they, they move as a group. And um, But when I do feed them hay, I have one horse who I would say on one end of the spectrum of sharing really would prefer to share with more space. She doesn't love sharing. 
but she's learned to share because one of her dear friends in the herd really likes to share. <laughs> and so she had to learn to do a little more sharing than she was used to because of the relationship. The relationship mattered. Beth, and it's really interesting because it prepared her for, she had a baby, and when that baby was born, I, I watched her, you know, share with the baby, and I, I recalled how she wasn't very good at it until she had this friendship, and, and she it Beth, was really good that she had learned. I, I hate to interrupt, but I have to take a short break here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? I'd love to. Okay. Um, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right Hello, back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. 
My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. (laughs) Hello, I'm Mr. Ed. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with uh, the third half of our three-hour tour on the Tom Sumner program. And my guest this hour is uh, the keeper of horses um, as a lifelong cowgirl and a licensed psychotherapist, author of a new book that uh, is scheduled to uh, be released officially tomorrow called The Human Herd, Awaking Our Natural Leadership. Her name is Beth Anstendig, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Beth. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you listen to all that. Sure, no problem. Um. You don't have any talking horses, I would hope. I well, they they do a lot of talking. It's just different than what we're used to. <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot of communicating, but I don't have a Mister Ed. Oh, I do have bad. a horse that's an escape artist, and she um, shows up at my house quite often um, at the door. So similar, but she doesn't talk. Well, we were talking uh, before the break about. Um, whether or not animals share, and we were talking about some of the uh, um, natural leadership that is involved in basically all life forms is the impression I get. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I um, I think this idea of sharing, you know, I, we're, we've we've moved away from more collectivistic culture as we've become more modernized and sophisticated in our thinking brains, has but that we been, are herd animals. Has that been more? Has, has that been more exacerbated by the the quarantines and lockdowns of the last couple of years over COVID nineteen? The isolation has definitely raised the pressure and awareness of. Um, how individualistic we've been living, and I think that it brought it to a head very quickly, Um, and yet we have not had great solutions for it, so we became more aware of how isolated and individualistic we'd been living, and and we felt the pain of that, and I think that's why we've seen such a mental health crisis globally. Um, I don't think that that came out of nowhere. It was brewing, but then I think that the ways that we have been even more isolated have just made it so much worse. We were already suffering, though. 
Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. In in what way were we already suffering and becoming more and more isolated before the pandemic that uh, allowed the pandemic to exacerbate that trend? Well, I think that one of the places that I that we saw that a whole lot was with with working women and women in the home. And if, you know, we spent the first part of our conversation talking about individual needs and being more connected to those and that that's part of what my book is about is really radically connecting to our own needs. But the other half of the equation is how we need each other. And we, when you are, when you grow up in a culture or you're socialized in a culture and you're, that capacity for being dependent and interdependent um, isn't fostered. We don't. We're not taught how to need each other. We we walk around with an unconscious belief that we're supposed to do everything on our own. And I think what we saw during the pandemic in a lot of families where there was a lot of overfunctioning, especially with females in the home and women that were both raising children and working, where you, there was a lot of imbalanced labor in the home and outside of the home. And there's you know, if you look at the statistics around a lot of the mental health issues that, and um, increase in um, substance abuse, the, the, the numbers were particularly high for women. The amount of stress that was happening in the last couple of years, that was always going on. That's been happening. But when you isolate us into our homes even more, you start to see where we're, we're really not sharing resources. We're not sharing responsibilities. And we're not acting as interdependent groups. There, there's, it's not that there's something pathologically wrong. It's just that things are out of balance. Well, in the wake of the pandemic, and, and I, I use that term uncomfortably because it doesn't, it, it's right. not, we're not completely done, but the worst of it seems to be over and a lot of people are going back to work. But a lot of people aren't. And some of the conversations that I've been in and, and have overheard seem to indicate that a lot of the people not going back to work are women. Mm-hmm. And maybe the majority of people not going back to work are women. And I think it has to do with that, that over-functioning that you were talking about, women where at home, um, you know, caring for their kids and trying to do homeschooling and just a whole bunch of things that had been divided up before the pandemic. Right. Um, is, is, is there a silver lining in that cloud? Yeah, I think that the thing that I've noticed most that has been the most moving and profound for me to observe and participate in is the willingness to be honest about how hard it's been and um, for a long time. And I've seen women and men becoming so much more open about the pain points and how we've been living. And, you know, we really do have to have natural consequences often in order to learn. We have to sometimes hit rock bottom. And I think the pandemic 
for a lot of people in many ways, many very painful, devastating ways, that, that has been our moment to, to wake up and look around and look within and say, these are things I can't do anymore, and to be willing to talk about it. And that's the beginning of interdependency is actually that's how we begin to need each other is to be able to be open about our needs and to start to use each other, utilize each other for how to do it differently, how to do things with more balance. But when we're alone with that problem or asleep, <laughs> half asleep with that problem, we're, we're, we, have, we don't stand a chance. We're, not, we're nowhere close to a solution. We don't, we're, we're either not admitting there's a problem or we're hiding it from others. And I think that's really what the pandemic opened up for so many people, men and women, and, and everything in between, um, regardless of gender identity, I think for so many of us. Um, and in so many different roles all over the world, it opened up this, wow, I, I have not been caring for myself the way that I needed to, and I, I don't have the kind of community around me that I need. You know, you mentioned gender identity, and, and I just I can't help but wonder, um, I, I I try to be very open about that, but but I wonder if these aren't things that are um, distractions to what would be natural leadership. It's one of the things I love about working with animals is that you know I'm. I'm very much an interspecies community here at my herd or at my ranch. And so I have a herd of horses and I have dogs and sheep and cats and chickens and everybody. It's like the classic children's barnyard, you know, story where everybody coexists. And, you know, and if you think about where everyone is on the food chain, where we've got prey animals and predators and everybody's learned to get along here. And I also think about, like the gender component of it, and I watch all of these animals in their different, you know, what are their... There's you know, a funny piece I play by uh, Victor Borga from time to time, uh -huh. and he's telling a story um, about a couple of his male uncles, and then he pauses and says, we have to identify, because where I'm from, we have three genders, male, female, and convertible. <laughs> and and it's, a, it's a great line. It's a very funny line. Um, but I, are there convertible animals? Yeah, all of them. <laughs> all of them. It's beautiful. I mean, it's. I I I think it's it's why I love working with them. There's so much diversity of roles, and they you know they don't they are who they are, and there's a lot of acceptance, and they show up with what's needed in the group. And I think that's been the case in the human herd for forever. It's just we've gotten very persnickety about putting labels on things, which is I, I don't agree or disagree with. That's just where we are right now. It's the, there's a moment that we're where we are. But I think if you look at it from just a mammal perspective, um, there's all kinds of diversity of, of roles and, um, and how um, male or female plays out in terms of individuals and in terms of what's needed in a group. But our human need to articulate things 
yes. does that <laughs> does does that really separate us from animals and from natural the ability to get in tune with our natural leadership? Yeah, I talk about it at the very beginning of the book because it's you know I'm a writer and I've been a writer my whole life. I think if if you had asked me to identify, you know, or to 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 state myself identity-wise, it would be as a poet. And so, you know, you don't have to sell me on the importance of language. It is my, it is my, a treasured gift of mine. Um, however, it is a brain glitch, and it does get in the way and, um, and actually interfere with the signals of the body. And because we have put such high value on language and vocalization on talking um, and thinking, those are really our three problem areas. And again, I love language, I love talking, and I love thinking, but they do suppress our natural leadership. And so what we're looking at here isn't so much, it's just, you know, I'm a systems trained therapist, and so what I look at is where's the system out of balance. So we're not looking at, at devaluing language or need the need to label things. That's part of our human brain, our human mind. That's what we do. But we actually want to leave more space for that other part of us, that mammal part of us, to have a voice and a seat at the table. We live in a time when our relationship to others in the world of politics and education and science and all these different aspects of of human and more specifically American culture has become really divisive with a, a, a real lack of trust in other people. We, we have uh, science deniers and a lack of trust in elected officials and um, agency officials and, and scientists and so on. And I, I, I guess I'm, I'm a little troubled by something that seems to be going on and I don't know maybe you can comment on this it seems to me like as we search to articulate things we're not always using our own words mm. yeah I think that um, we've one of the things that's probably happened in the last you know 50 to 100 no, let's just say 50 years is um, there's less emphasis on critical thinking and, and learning to be a critical thinker or a reader. Um, but I think if I, if you back up and, and zoom out even more and try to, I'm always looking at like, well, what's, what's that, what's the heart of the matter here? You know, what's really going on? And I think that when an individual comes to any moment, conversation, relationship, topic, from a place of fear and reactivity where we're, where we're in survival mode and that's what's driving us on a biological level, we're not really able to think critically and calmly. We're not able to listen critically and calmly and we're not able to articulate. The brain glitch is that we keep talking. We keep talking anyway, and so our discourse, <laughs> our dialogue, I mean, and we think we're making sense, and, and our brain is still making thoughts. And so we don't, 
we're not really connected with how, with what's going on in our own brain when we are reactive, when we are in that state of reactivity. So what you see are a lot of conversations and groups that are riddled with fear. They're well, really yeah, in like a fight or flight state. There's and this, this weird thing that, that goes mm-hmm. on. It's all over social media where yeah. if you don't agree with me, you're a moron. Right. And right. and what troubles me about that is most of the people that are expressing an opinion got that opinion from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something, you know, born out of their own reasoning and their own decision sure. making. And that's the part that bothers me the most. And the thing that I'm most interested in about your book is how we get to that that natural place of coming up with articulation that that is our own. Sure. I think it it's it goes back to this idea of what are the elements and processes that that create a, like a competent, surviving, functioning individual that can go into the world and participate in groups. And, you know, and I think that being able to synthesize information as an individual makes you a more viable member of a herd. Being able, like, if you think about how is this going to impact the group, is this going to increase our survival or decrease our survival, our, our, our tendency to survive or not survive? And, and when we go, if we put things on a needs basis, we want to be creating individuals or becoming individuals that are actually increasing our chances for survival. So if I'm a person who grabs information, gets inflamed and reactive and starts fights, in a mammal group, I'm going to get kicked out because that's going to actually hurt the, 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 the survival of the group. That, that's not healthy. <laughs> it's not safe. And so if I think about how do I want to be as an individual, I, I actually, seeking to get along is way safer for us. Seeking to understand and find commonalities is way safer for us than not. It doesn't mean we can't disagree, but disagreeing with more peace actually makes more sense for our survival. So I always go back to what, what does the mammal need for survival? And if we're doing something that's counter to that, then we might be, we may have lost our way. We might want to look at that. Is there... And I want to get back, and I'm not sure if I asked it really right the first time, or if I will now. Um, is there a, a, a discipline or a process that we can go through that is akin to pushing the restart button? Every day. Every day we can. And it, it starts with um, having a little bit more scope and just a little bit of space from being reactive in the moment and starting to study ourselves in, and others and what's going on in our immediate system and starting to make different choices about am I attending to needs, my own, and am I attending to the needs to be 
part of whatever group or moment that I'm in right now. And so that awareness and just slowing things down a little bit so that I'm in a little bit more awareness around my needs and the needs of others makes a huge difference on a daily basis. I have to do that every day, all day. And, you know, I've been studying this for a long time, and I'm still engaged in the discipline of it. But I raise my, I'm raising my daughter this way, and I am aware that there's a lot of parenting styles that are very top-down leadership, that are very hierarchical, and, they, and reactive, and they don't teach children how to think for themselves and how to be aware of their own needs and also how to be aware of the needs of their family members and, and those around them. And I've been teaching my daughter, well, my daughter's been teaching me because I've been listening to her, but, um, but we've been teaching each other and, and speaking that language her whole life. So I think part of the discipline is how we're, how we're doing that with ourselves, really tuning in on that all day, and then also teaching the people around us to do the same. As people, we can and should pause and think before we speak or communicate. Do animals do that? Yeah, they, you know, the thing that they do beautifully is they um, they react to what's in the moment um, when their survival depends on it. Otherwise, what they're doing all day are just these very subtle feedback conversations with each other, and they're negotiating needs all day. And so they don't, we do a wild swing between numbed out and <laughs> um, hypervigilant, but they're in a calm alert state all of the time. And so it's hard to draw a comparison there because um, we're, we're numb and then all of a sudden we're reactive, but they're always a- aware they're, they're alert but calm. And so when you're in a calm alert state, the pause is built into your way of life. You're just going a little bit slower anyway. And so I wouldn't really say that they pause. They're just, they have the rhythm of their world is a gentle pause. Well, the book is called The, uh, the Human Herd, um, Awakening Our Natural Leadership by Beth Anstendig. Um, Beth, we're almost out of time, and and the time has gone so fast. Um, I always ask uh, guests if they can share with the listeners someplace where the listeners can find out more about what we've been talking about. Now, obviously, the book is a great place to start, but do you have a website where people can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future? I do. It's thecircleupexperience.com, and from that place you can read more about the work that I do with groups and the kind of teaching that I do and... um. I I do write regularly and post blogs there, and you can read all about my work and more about the book. And and what's up next? Is there another book in the works? Yes, I'm I'm I started this next book um, while I was finishing this book, and so I I adopted a wild Mustang horse from the Bureau of Land Management. 
um, that had never been touched by humans um, during the pandemic, and wow. it was a life-changing experience, and I've been writing about that experience in this next book. Well, Beth, thank you so much for spending this time this morning with me and the listeners. Thank and you. And keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Beth Anstendig. She uh, is a lifelong cowgirl, writer, professor, and licensed psychotherapist, the author of a new book that comes out tomorrow, The Human Herd, Awakening Our Natural Leadership. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. And if you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. I'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershade Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Sumner Show.
yellow? Honey, it's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana, what's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Mm-hmm. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Red. Go right to the source and ask the horse, he'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Red. People yakety yak a streak and waste your time a day. But Mr. Ed will never speak unless he has something to say. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and this one will talk to him. His voice is hoarse. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this. I am Mr. Ed. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Oh, great lovers of the world, lend me thy ears. Where has love wrought? Love has wrought beauty. Love is the world. The world is love, and the great lovers of the world have made the earth a very precious, beautiful, and lovely place. Where is the love? Tell me. It's it's there. It's there. (laughs) Oh, where is the love? Where is the love? It's there. Do you know where the love is? It's there, Tom. It's all around you. Love is everywhere. Love is ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-moving. Love is passionate. It is flowing. It is sweet. It is wonderful. Love is compassion. Love is... Love is God. This is a song of two lovers. Right. Not world-famous lovers. Not a Romeo and Juliet. Not that type of a love, but two people whose love was an unrequited love. 
Unrequited love. Very beautiful love. A love that very few people ever hear of. It's a story of Herman and Sally. You've heard of them, huh? Herman was a lobster. And Sally was a crab. <laughs> Never work out that way, will it? <laughs> Herman met Sally on the beach one night. The sea was calm and the starfish were bright. He looked at her and she looked at him and it was true love at first sight. Now Herman told his folks about the girl he found And they said, Herman, there must be other girls around <laughs> Cause crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Everybody sing now! Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Where is love? <laughs> Try singing like that Poor Herman and poor Sally. Whence did their love whence wrong? Oh, the bittersweet pain of love's nectar. Yes, Herman, though he loved Sally, could not marry her, could not have her for his own. Herman was a lobster, Sally was a crab. Herman lived in a restricted neighborhood. <laughs> So he had to make a decision. And Herman made a decision which was sad and very hard for him to do. But then, being a lobster, Herman had no backbone. <laughs> Herman told Sally and it broke her heart. She had loved that lobster right from the start. He took her in his closet and said, I'll always be yours, but still, we really have to part. Sally said, let's talk to your mom and your dad. I'll show them that crabs really aren't that bad. <laughs> they turned her away, what would the neighbors say? And they laughed at the funny walk she had. Two, three, Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate. Sing out, friends, now. Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate. Once again, gang! Oh, crabs walk sideways, lobsters walk straight, and we won't let you take her for your pain. One more time now! Oh, crabs walk sideways, lobsters walk straight, and we won't let you take her for your pain. One day on a sandbar, what did Herman see? But his little old Sally walking straight as can be. He said, Sally, I can take you in my family. And she said, Herman. Don't you sweetheart me. Crabs <laughs> <laughs> walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take it for your man. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program and I want to say thanks to all of my guests um, starting with Beth Anstendig who uh, is the author of The Human Herd Awakening Our Natural Leadership coming out tomorrow. I also want to apologize we started the hour a little clumsy. Uh, It had to do with uh, phone numbers and all of that and getting connected so I started to replay an old interview and uh, and then cut it off when I was able to connect with Beth. So with the beginning of the hour sounds a little klutzy. That's the welcome to live radio. Um, during the middle of our three-hour tour, uh, the second hour, we talked with the author of Slaves for Peanuts, a story of conquest, liberation, and a crop that changed history, Jory Lewis, an award-winning uh, journalist and author. And then we started out this morning with uh, talking about free speech and colleges in Michigan with um, the uh, program officer uh, from, uh, where's he from, uh, Foundation for Individual Rights in, in Education um, called FIRE. Ryan Ansloan was his name, and they just recently, the foundation that is, uh, did a study that um, analyzed the state of free speech at 26 Michigan colleges and universities. Pretty interesting. If you didn't uh, hear it early this morning, uh, go to our website and pull it up. Ryan Ansloan is his name. Anyway, there's smoking George Winters, tickling the ivories. I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the show. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.